Hey everybody, this is Raymundo Gonzalez. And this is Giovanni Rosario. Welcome to the Latinx Guard Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember, everything we say is just for fun. Nothing's meant to be taken too seriously. If you are going to be a hater, stay a hater. But either way, support. Hey guys, welcome to the Latinx Guard Podcast. This is your host, Raimundo Gonzalez. And this is Giovanni Rosario. Today we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Uh, we're going to be talking about the cult of personality around jiu-jitsu instructors. We're going to talk about how we think jiu-jitsu teachers should and shouldn't teach according to their environment. And then we're going to talk crap about people who won the pants. A lot. A lot. <laughs> and the pants competition in general. Uh, just a quick overview about who we are. Uh, again, my name is Raimundo. I've been training Brazilian jiu-jitsu for eight years. I've been teaching for six. I basically got my start in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a teacher because I was just training eight hours a day. I, they couldn't kick me out of the gym. So they were like, hey, do you want a job? And I was like, sure. It's just another thing to do until uh, I wait for the next class. How about you, Giovanni? Um, pretty much the same. I found a gym in Brooklyn where I'm from. I started training there. It was a little toxic. Um, and then eventually I found my way to a couple other gyms. I'm a brown belt. Um, I've been teaching for about six years now. Um, much like Ray, I just from day one i just committed to this and i've been training a bunch of hours a day multiple days a week since then you know almost a decade in yeah Giovanni and i have known each other for a long time i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure he's one of the first people i met in brazilian jitsu we used to train years ago at the same gym um and we still keep in touch and we started this podcast and um i feel that we have a lot of similar opinions about some stuff that happens in the jiu-jitsu world around jiu-jitsu people so today we're going to start off Back, big, uh, piggybacking off of Giovanni's toxic comment in his gym, we're going to talk about uh, the cult of personality around uh, jiu-jitsu gym leaders, basically how some students and some instructors make their students basically kiss the ground that they walk on. The instructors, I mean. Uh, Giovanni, do you have any experience with this? Um, first of all, I want to say that was a smooth-ass segue. Um, number two, for sure, I think that a lot of people that come into jiu-jitsu and and i don't mean so if anybody gets offended by this and too bad like a lot of people that do jiu-jitsu we're um we're all a little weird right and we all have some sort of issues or whatever that we haven't dealt with so sometimes these people who have these issues that they haven't dealt with become instructors or in position of power and a lot of times they end up abusing it or have you do ridiculous things, right? Like you can't get on the mat without bowing or if you're five minutes late or 10 minutes late because of traffic, now you got to do 25 sprawls. It's, it's a bunch of ridiculous things, you know? Yeah, I've definitely been in other gyms where the instructor didn't understand like the relationship dynamic and I think that's a huge part of it. I think we're a long ways off of the traditional like master-student uh, archetype. And right. right now, especially because not only do we live in America, but <laughs> we live in like a, um, a very different culture. Like it's not a master student relationship. It's um, like a business and client relationship. Right? right. Like when students walk into a school, they're paying for a service. And if especially because we both live in New York City, a lot of the prices in Jiu Jitsu school are at a premium. Like if yeah. you want to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at uh, at a jiu-jitsu school in New York City is going to cost you thousands of dollars a year. Yeah. So I think it's a sizable investment. And because of that, students should be treated with more respect than comes with like the master-student relationship. But it's also like a fuzzy like ground, right? Because at the same time, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is very uh, hierarchical. 
right? So right. there's like specific like ranks and specific like do's and don'ts about how you treat certain people. But I think that shouldn't interfere with the fact that these people are paying for a service. So there are certain things that we as instructors, and not even instructors, but like senior students or other students should take into account. That just because you have a higher belt than somebody else doesn't mean that you have any more privilege than them. You're yeah. still both human beings and should be treated as such, right? Right. And, and it, it absolutely, it gets in to give a kind of like a small example. Sometimes you're training and like you're, let's say you're the blue belt or the lower rank and then some black belt just happens to take up most of the mat space and then they run into you and now you have to stop your role and you have to move because this upper Dude, belt I freaking hate that. oh man it's the worst so like especially in packed rooms like and this is one of the i guess pros of having adhd like i'm always attentive so i'm like even if i'm and i try as, as best as i can um i'm always like okay i don't want to run into these people i got to be mindful of them the people around me my training partner you know but that definitely you see that a lot of gyms or a lot of upper belts um they lack that that like they lack that awareness that like they're not the only people in the gym right like their their belt doesn't matter like you said we're all people at the end of the day yeah i love how this topic um split into the problem with the hierarchy in the belt system and the problems that that comes with. But I want to circle back to like instructors specifically because right. that's something that we both have yeah, uh, yeah, experience yeah. with. So with instructors, I feel that there's um there's an inherent power dynamic in the structure of the class where like I am the guy who knows stuff. I am the guy teaching the class. Yeah. So listen to me, right? Like it's me and there's a lot of like people who get wrapped up in that feeling of having control and power in that class. And that can really mess with you a little bit or rather that can change your behavior is what sure. i'm getting at um like the first time that people came up to me and like started like thanking me like oh ray like when they got their blue belt for the first time like oh i wouldn't have done this without you like oh i owe you so much like bro you don't owe me anything anything like you yeah. paid me money to teach you <laughs> like you came in like i didn't go to your house and drag you to class like you did this i didn't spar for you i didn't like like i just showed you like how i do the moves like you could have looked that up on youtube and done the same thing yourself maybe not to the same success but like you see what i'm talking about right so maybe it's because I already had my ego in check when I first started training. I'm like, I am, a, I am of service to these people. Right. Like they, it, without them, the class wouldn't happen. Yes. I could teach to the wall and I would still be as fulfilled. Right. Or I, I rather, I'm sorry. I wouldn't be as fulfilled. Um, so these, I, I owe my students a lot more than they actually owe me. Right. They, they don't owe me because they're paying me. Right. But I think like certain instructors forget this. And I feel like, Especially, I don't like seeing when I go into a gym an immediate, like, rules board. Yeah. Or, like... Yeah, well, when it starts to get what feels, like, a little personal, like, I, I understand that there has to be gym etiquette, right? And you have to make... Especially if you're new and you've never been here, you might not be aware that, like, cutting your nails is something that we are very... It's very important, right? Yeah, so sure. it, Hygiene, things like that. So when it comes to rules, definitely, like, if it's general, like just gym rules i get it but for sure when some gyms enforce like you can't say no to a, uh, a black belt or the or you can't say no to the instructor to keep it in on in the same topic like what you mean what if i don't want to roll what if my instructor is like 230 and i'm 120 and i don't want to train with them like there's things like that that um some instructors definitely like to abuse yeah i, I also think like some of the more basic ones before we go into like the some of the more like bugged out ones yeah um I think an instructor shouldn't have control over how a student decides to take their class, especially yeah. because they pay for it. It's kind of like walking to a restaurant, you pay for the meal, or rather, 
it's on the assumption you're gonna pay for the meal, and then the chef comes out and it's like you have to eat it this way. Right. And like now saying it, like some like high class restaurants do do that, but the chefs are bugged out. Like you know that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, when I'm specifically referring to when the instructor has rules about like students going to the bathroom, right, Be, and having to ask permission first. Like when I'm in kindergarten, I don't have to ask anybody permission to like. Yeah. Use the bathroom. Also, like if I have to leave early because like. I get a phone call and there's a family emergency or there's just any emergency that I deem enough to take me out of class. And then you, then the other person's like, Oh, you can't leave early or like, Oh, it's going to look bad if you are like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. Um, and then anything else really like that, where I, I trained in this one gym in Spain. And again, I understand completely different culture, completely different country. I was in a completely different land. Um, but one time this black belt came in 15 minutes late. The black belt instructor came 15 minutes late to his own class. Yeah. And then everybody started shaking his hand. I'm like, oh, it's the black belt instructor. Everybody knows him, right? I get it. Everybody likes him, right? right? But then he came up to me. Never seen me before in his life. He knew I was a visitor because that's why he came up to me. And he's like, he's like, hey, I don't know where you train, but when you train here, you have to shake the black belt hand. And I'm like, what are you talking like, about? Like, excuse me, sir? What, what you mean? What are you, t- <laughs> you <laughs> talking in, about? You came in 15 minutes late. Like, what? Yeah. Like, I, first of all, I didn't know who you were. Right. You, like, you came in in your, like, your motorcycle outfit. I didn't yeah, know yeah, you were yeah. instructor. I thought you were just some guy. Right. And then, also, I'm the guest here. Like, yeah. I paid for this. You should be shaking my hand. Like, you're not Swiss Beats coming in here with your leather jacket. Like, I don't know who you are. You didn't make it, and now you're going to impress me? Like, yeah. yeah. That's, that's whack. Um... I definitely feel that also just the inherent power dynamic in like the class where some people do feel in charge, sometimes take advantage of that, right? Right. I don't think it's anything in specific, but maybe like the specific way that they talk to their students. Um, This is like a problem that I have with teaching in general, like especially teaching uh, adult Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I think that certain teachers have certain teaching styles. But I don't necessarily agree with, like, the aggressive or the strict teaching style unless the environment that you've established already has that as, like, um, like a predetermined uh, outcome or um, it's already predetermined that it's that's the way the class is going to be run. Right. And even, like, <clears throat> to, I guess to get a little bit even more specific, sometimes you train at a gym and certain classes are for specific reasons, right? Like a lot of times you'll see a, a gym that has a lot of competitors. Their noon classes are primarily for competitors so you know what kind of environment you're getting. Like it's not the kind of class that you're going to be allowed to sit on the wall. Or, or I don't want to say allowed, but like you should expect hard and maybe even a little toxic environment as opposed to like a night class where you get a lot of the people that have uh, day jobs and they just come in. This is th- what we called a hobbyist right and in those classes i think is where most of our argument lies right where in terms of like some of these instructors abusing power because i feel like that's that's the split right it depends on what you're coming here to do if you want to be a competitor then like you might be willing to deal with your instructor being this toxic person and abusing their power right because your goals are more important as opposed to like a hobbyist like yeah no if you're paying for this gym like don't tell me when or who to shake in or if you can if i can use the bathroom or not like i'm here because this is my fun time this is my activity like i don't need you to act like my father yeah i, I also think there's something that we need to talk about which is not really talked about in brazilian jiu-jitsu enough um but it's the way that a student should also deal with an instructor that they're not necessarily um interacting well with like okay. if you're yeah. a student and 
an instructor does something or says something that you feel was out of pocket, like there are specific ways to deal with it. I think like one, I'm also like coming at it from like the angle of like a guy. Like I know it's very different for like smaller people or people with uh, less confidence or not saying anything about the previous two comments, but also women. Right. Um, I know it's very different. Also, if you have any other um, reason as to why you don't want to interact with the instructor in that present moment. But I think as a student, you should also speak up for yourself and not maybe not even speak up for yourself, but also be willing to have a conversation with yourself like, hey, that wasn't okay. I didn't like that. Or like I that wasn't acceptable. Um, yeah. in, no matter what the environment. I think if an instructor comes up to you and says like, hey, why aren't you training? And it's like, oh, I kind of don't really want to train. It's like, no, that's not acceptable. Here, go train. And then makes you train and that made you feel uncomfortable. I think one, you should have the conversation with yourself. Like, hey, I didn't really like that. I was made to do something I didn't want to do. And then also, if you're willing, talk to somebody else at the school. Talk to maybe... Uh, another instructor, another staff member, another uh, co-student. Uh, and if you're willing, talk to the instructor. And it's like, hey, I'm nursing an injury. Or, hey, I'm not comfortable sparring. Or, hey, I'm like, whatever. I just didn't feel like sparring that day. Right. Uh, what do you feel about that? Well, it's funny because I have some personal experiences with this, mm-hmm. right? Um, I used to train at a gym. And, you know... As, as we know, sometimes life throws shit at you and you don't owe, like not everybody knows what's going on. So long story short, like I couldn't, I was going through some injuries or whatever and I couldn't make a class. And then the instructor said something that I, I found offensive, like not because of what he said. It Like I try to look at it from an objective point of view and I, as fr- and from a coach's perspective. And he was probably trying to motivate me in some way. But he said something in, in an environment where I felt like he crossed the line and it, it makes me a little bit of a hypocrite because like after that, obviously I took myself out of the environment and I was like, I don't want to be here anymore, at least because I didn't, I felt so disrespected. Right. But at the same time, um, I hadn't, that hadn't happened in that way before. And I didn't know how to deal with that. Right. So sometimes you just find yourselves in these situations and much like when you're sparring, you, you end up in these, uh, fight or flight and you're just like, what do I do? So for sure, it's definitely extremely important to be able to draw those boundaries and have those conversations, especially if this is a place that you go to willingly and you spend a lot of time in. Like you don't want to go somewhere and all of a sudden become uncomfortable for you and you no longer enjoy it, you know, because it affects you. It affects business like everybody just loses. But um, it, it's definitely a tough conversation to have, especially if you if you're if you don't want to like if you don't know how to manage that. Yeah, I think that's the key word is just boundaries. Right. I think you set those for yourself, not only as an instructor, but as a student. And I think that when it changes when you're like a professional jiu-jitsu athlete or at least aspiring to be. Right, um, right. I think that definitely if you're just a hobbyist, those boundaries are definitely going to be different than yeah. if you're a professional jiu-jitsu athlete. But if you're looking to be a professional jiu-jitsu athlete, I think... The key word is professional, and you should seek professionalism not only in yourself but in your coaches and instructors. And if your coach is not acting in a professional manner, or at least what you deem to be a professional manner, then that's not the coach for you. Right, and I and I think that like and as a culture in general, but like in in terms of jujitsu, we're also um, being more accepting of like 
if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be, right? I think back in the day, or even even when I first started, like if you went from one gym to another for whatever reason you felt that you wanted to leave, like then you would be deemed as a traitor, or now you get this negative, you know, eyes on you. As opposed to like now, when you see a lot of athletes, like they'll go to gyms where they feel like they're gonna get the most out of them. So definitely, um, those are always going to be dependent on the individual for sure yeah i definitely want to talk about this at a later podcast yeah like leaving gyms and pro athletes also leaving gyms right i think it's a great topic of conversation because um people are always going to feel some type of way when you don't train at the school that you've been training at yeah it warrants its own like 30 minutes of talking maybe more so i want to uh just transfer the conversation over to something else that i want to talk about today and that's how I think jujitsu instructors should teach a class. Right. I think it definitely varies on the population taking the class. I think if you're teaching the class to people who like to train, i.e. jujitsu athletes, people who are competing, um, maybe like students of a higher belt rank, it's very different from when you would teach a class full of white belts. Right. Um, however, I do think there's like a, a sweet spot or like rather a common ground that most jiu-jitsu classes should follow. For me personally, I think it should always be inc- uh, incorporating um, equal amounts drilling and equal amounts sparring. That I could be biased just because that's the type of class that I've been taking for really the past eight years that I've been doing jiu-jitsu, my entire lifetime jiu-jitsu. I've seen other hyper-specific ways for jiu-jitsu athletes and competitors um, but pretty much when you don't have specific um, times or equal specific times to train and drill, you kind of place more importance on one or the other. Yeah. Um, It's funny because I I was listening to, I believe it was BJJ Mental Models, um, and they had, and I should have remembered their names, but they were talking about that, right, about the different ways of teaching, and they had mentioned something... um, called the ecological approach. I don't know if you've heard of it, but I'm paraphrasing here. So if you want to do more research, you're going to have to look it up. But it's like, rather than focusing, like the traditional way of jujitsu is like, you go, you learn a technique and, you know, you you work on these things one-on-one versus like, everybody's going to come in here with different goals. So when you have a class full of maybe, maybe you have a couple of competitors, a couple of nine to fivers that are extremely athletic and then you have the nine to fivers that aren't right you want to you want everybody to get something out of the class so you want to teach people and and this is what i feel is like first you want to teach people how to move right so before you teach them how to knee cut or whatever like can they do a squat can they do a split squat right can they how low can they bring their butt to the ground so there's definitely i think as jiu-jitsu continues to evolve and it um i think we continue to what's the word a lot of the athletes are are more athletic a lot of the people that do it are have all these other attributes um so that also plays a role so when you're coming into class you have this room full of all these mixed people so you want everybody to get something out of it for sure um Yeah, yeah i um now that we've talked about like the way that we think we should run the class i also think i want to talk about the way that we've seen classes run and the pros and cons to it. So one of the ways that I want to talk about is this competitive school in New York City, a couple blocks from us that we both trained at. Uh, it's you more than me. But I want to talk about why I believe that this is like a good class structure, yeah. but maybe not the best for everybody. Right. 
so the way that this class was run, um, it was basically two hours. And there was 45 minutes of like hard-ish drilling. And then uh, an hour and a half to an hour and 15 minutes of hard smarting. Now, the specifics of this class were that if you wanted to come into the class to drill, uh, first of all, you had to come into the class to drill. I don't want to say if you want to. Um, you couldn't skip that part of the class. You couldn't come in late just right. to do the drilling. But you, there wasn't a specific move to drill. You had to come in with your own specific drills or something that you were working on. Now, I think this was great. I thought yeah. that it allowed the athletes to focus on their own specific games because sometimes when you come into a class, and let's say you're not a knee cutter, let's say you're a Toriando passer or you're exactly. a leg dragger, yeah, and yeah. You, you don't like the knee cut because it just doesn't work out for you. Like, that's fine. Like, certain people just will not get certain techniques. And just like art, like, some people will not paint, paint a certain style. Yeah. I not to cut you off, but I've been using that like as not like here. We're just here to provide you with the tools. You can paint your own picture how you see fit, right? That's that's yeah. what jujitsu is. Yeah. Um. So I thought this was great. Uh. And then of course the hour, the uh, the hour and fifteen hour and a half sparring. I thought that was like a great way to get in a number of rounds. And typically people would map out their rounds. There would be like yeah. a five minute lull where people would come up to each other. You want to be my round one, round two, three, four, five. And then that's great. I want to take that everywhere I go. And because typically that's a great way for you to not think about your next opponent because um, a lot of the time people lose time in their sparring training, just finding another partner. Like when I really yeah. want to train and there's six minute rounds, but now I have a five minute round because it took two minutes to find somebody else because people were like on the mats, like sitting, not knowing if they wanted to do the next round, not having to like worry about it and then just have somebody already prepped. To right. Be like the you next can just round. grab your water and get to the next round. Exactly. So I thought that class structure was great. Let me talk to you about like why I think this class may suffer to some people for some people. And then you can give me your opinion as well. Yeah. So. When it comes to the specific drilling, I think that if you are not aware of this ahead of time, you come in and you basically drill whatever you just learned in class the previous time that you came, right? And then that might not be the move that you actually might have been most beneficial to you. I think also without a specific instructor guiding you, you might not be as insightful as to what move might be the best for you to drill. Like there have been plenty of people that I saw like that are drilling a specific move and I'm like, why are you drilling that? You don't even do this. This move would be like a much better move for you to drill. Yeah. So I think unless you have a coach that's there telling you what moves to drill, because sometimes you don't know, or at least give you some insight as to the things that you should be drilling. Right. right? Um, because if you have a white belt who should be working on his grip acquisition and grip defense and framing, but all of a sudden he's trying to work saddle entries and barren bolo and inversion, <laughs> like you're wearing on the, you're wearing about the wrong thing right now. Yeah. 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 So I think that that's where the class could suffer um, because there wasn't much leadership in that specific part of class. Right. At least not towards everyone. Um, but there's a lot of people in that class, so I can see why the instructor might not have had has such a huge hands-on approach in that part of class. Um, also, one thing, if you were there to train, you were there to train. So oh, yeah. You would get reprimanded if you didn't do like the full hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes of sparring. Yeah, no, if you, if you missed a round, you might not be able to come back to training exactly yeah i think this is good if that's what you want for However, sure ever i also and we'll talk about other training environments i think it's good to take some time off because when you're actually competing you're not doing eight rounds back to back right sometimes you're gonna compete and do a match and then your match is not for another 40 minutes or an hour so i think it's always good to train 
and then take a small break and then train again. Yeah. Right? I think like building back to back sparring um cardio is great, but not the most efficient. Um yeah. and you should broaden your uh your training horizons by taking different methodologies of training. Tell me how do you feel about this uh training environment? Um well, to your point, right? Some if you're not aware of that this is the situation, um when it comes to drilling, you you can get overwhelmed, right? Because there's so many things and you might get stuck on what you want to drill. So it's easy to get lost. And that's definitely one of the cons for sure. Um, as for taking rest and, and, you know, going every round, I 100% agree that there, there has to be like some rest. And this kind of goes into the different styles of teaching. Uh, you know, as we were talking about the theory or I guess the, the science behind it, right. Is like, you're, if you're able to train 10, 10 minute rounds, then going into a competition should be light work, right? Like that's the theory. But like you said, it isn't efficient. It is, you know, the risk of getting injured is high. Getting injured is very high. Um, but if you are going in there and your goal is to get tough training and if your goal is to see you know to push yourself to the limit then for sure then that's that's that kind of environment that you are looking for and like you know if if that's your goals then you're gonna find yourself and it's not you know it's pretty it's pretty tough yeah uh the next training environment that i want to talk about is one that's modeled after aoj okay so when i went out to california and trained there a couple of times um they were getting ready for a big competition. I can't specifically remember if it was American Nationals or Worlds. Um, it was something. But the way that Guy Mendez had structured his class was that he had two groups, uh, two large groups of people, I think like 20 to 30 people on each side of the wall. And then only one group was allowed to train on the mat at that time. And the way that he got everybody training was that there were very short rounds, three-minute rounds. And then we did, so we did multiple three-minute rounds. I, I can't remember specifically, but it had to be more than six, close to eight. Um, so everybody got at least four three-minute rounds. But the specifics, the, the specific goal of the training was to get everybody prepared for the initial moments of a match. So you started on the feet, and then okay. the goal was yeah. to score immediately or as fast as you could. I thought this was genius. Yeah. Right. Because how often do you spar with a specific intention in mind? Right. Like most of the time when you're sparring, even in a competitive setting, they just go open guard. You stand up and you just try to get a submission. Right. Right. Without like the specific goal of mind of getting ahead early in a match, because you and I have both competed. Scoring really early in a match is a huge boost to your confidence. Absolutely. And definitely sends the tempo for the match. Like if you're able to sweep somebody and pass their guard and now you're at five points and you let the clock and there's like still five and a half minutes left. Like, bro, this is this is cake. This is money. Yeah, and then, like, and then sometimes you're on the losing end of oh, that. Oh, yeah. And then you get someone who's, like, just doing enough to not let you do anything, and now you're stuck in this stalling position. It can sure. be very annoying. So I thought, like, that hyper-specific training was, like, really good. Um, also, I felt that the instructor, the head instructor, Guy Mendes, was also very diligent about certain students training with other students. Yeah. So he pretty much knew everybody in the class, um, save for like the visitors like myself or maybe people who were still new to the program. But he knew specifically who should be training with who, like to get the most out of everybody's training. He had specific people pair up. So there was like two to three minutes where he was like, John, go with Mary. 
Mary go with Sue. Like it was very specific. Like this wasn't up to the yeah, yeah. Uh, the student. And I thought this was great. And I think some some instructors should definitely do more of this. Right. Just because not only because as a coach you want the best for your athlete, like, but also as a student, sometimes you tend to take the easy way out, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you come into class and you're like, Oh, I hope Max doesn't show up because he's a freaking hammer and I know it's good for my jiu-jitsu, but I just don't want to do it today. Right. But if your coach be like, Yo, Giovanni, go train with Max, like you're not gonna say no because you know that he probably has your best intentions for you. Right. And of course this goes back to our circling of like um if you disagree with your instructor, you should tell him, like, hey, I'm actually, like, injuring my shoulders. I don't think Max is the best partner for me. Yeah. And that should be an open conversation. Great. But I think that it's great to have uh, a diligent instructor and a involved instructor who is actively taking a role in their students' training. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And, like, you know, if, if you do run into that conversation with your coach and the reason you don't want to train with Max is because you're tired – Versus, like, if you don't want to train with him because Max makes you feel uncomfortable, those are those are two different, complete, two very reasons, different things, right? So, like, if you don't want to train with him because you're tired, then you know maybe your coach is telling you to train with him for a reason. Now, if you tell him for another reason, then that's a different conversation. Yeah, like Max is a creep and he like breathes on my neck. I'm yeah, like, then it's like, all right, cool. I don't want to train with Max either. All right, I get it. I understand <laughs> you. There's nobody actually named Max. This is just the, a filler. The, hypothetical. No, if if we know any Maxes, we're not talking about you. Yeah, just want to make that clear. Um, so I was really impressed at the, yeah, no, that really sounds like really, um, great way and very efficient way to make the most out of a class that's, that has a lot of students. You have an X amount of time to, for this, during this class. Like that sounds really dope. Also, we didn't talk about the specific drilling in that class, but we didn't drill a specific technique. It was all movement, which was very different. Yeah, that's dope. We did like, um, we did like sequences of moves. Okay. So it was like, he's basically said, drill a guard pass to a back take. Okay. So he was like, I don't care which guard pass you do. It can be leg drag, knee cut, Toriano, yeah. um, smash pass, but it has to be immediately followed by a back take. So it also required the bottom person to turtle up or to expose their back in a certain way. And I think this conditioned the class to look for specific reactions in their partners, which is like another way of teaching, you know? Yeah. I think if you're... A beginner at jujitsu, like this wasn't the class for you because there was definitely a prerequisite in knowing how to specifically get to certain positions and how to tie positions together. But this was like a very, um, I guess, a competitive class. Right? Yeah. And we're looking at very specific niches. We haven't really talked about like hobbyist level classes, but I guess this is just something that we both have an experience with. Yeah. Right. Um, I thought it was really cool because then it solved the problem that we were talking about in the previous um teaching environment where it was all left up to the student where now we're talking about the instructor taking a more hands-on approach yeah and saying you can still be creative with it but uh there's some guidelines to follow yeah i mean that as a more active instructor now um i teach four days a week and i had a student the other day ask me like how do you come up with the curriculum and Funnily enough, before the year started, I had done the curriculum like six for uh, all the way through May. And I was like, all right, these are the things, you know, they all tie in together. Come February, I've had to change it all up because there's so many other factors, right? You mm -hmm. get a lot of new people. You get um, people not picking up the stuff really well. You get mm -hmm. people like we're talking about that don't know how to move. So when um, that 
drilling sequence, right, where you're just working on these movements. With my more experienced people, or as people continue to become more experienced, um, I'll just be like, all right, now that we now that we've gone over like three different guard passes the last couple of weeks, okay, now we're just gonna drill a guard pass into a submission, right, or or kind of just add those things together, which it's on a lesser scale, right, because this isn't a competition gym, but you it, it's. It's amazing to see people just kind of put it all together, right? Like they're they're starting to understand what to do. So I like that form of teaching for sure because it, it gives them a, a guide. It gives them a blueprint. But again, like we talked about, they get to do it their own way, right? Like they do their knee cut how they do it, right? That works for their body type. And obviously that's what the coach is there for, to correct them, to, you know, prevent them from any injuries or things like that. Yeah. Uh, let's switch the segment again. Now we're going to talk about the fun stuff. Now we're hey, going to start talking talk, about Talk about AOJ. Um, but before we get to the negative, shout out to y'all for having a great performance um, because we're going to talk a lot of crap right now. But y'all did amazing, AOJ. Now. So we're going to start talking about the pants result that happened last weekend. So I'm going to quickly just talk about the tournament. Jobani's going to pull up the results for the tournament. Uh, pants is a competition that happens every single year. It the full name, I think, is the, the Pan American Games, but I think they shortened it to PANS in the last two years or so. Uh, yeah. Just, I guess it just rolls off the tongue better. I don't know. Some I, people still call it Pan Americans. Y'all are corny. Yeah. So they just call it PANS now. Uh, it's held in Florida now, I believe. Yeah. It used to be held, it used to be held in California, um, but after the pandemic, they moved it to Florida. It was, I think, one of the first majors to be held after uh, the pandemic. Yeah. And I think Florida... Ron DeSantis, it was like, yo, I want jiu-jitsu in my state. Florida's always been wild. Always been wild. So now it's been permanently moved to Florida. I think this is a great change just because it gives the East Coast a major. Yes. And it's a lot easier for people who live on the East Coast to make it down to Florida yeah. than this to make it out to California. Um, yo, sorry, Californians, but you guys had two majors. You had Pans and Worlds. And, and like to, you, you guys could wake up and be at the tournament. Like, that wasn't fair. And to be clear, like, y'all have no Gi Worlds. Y'all have Gi Worlds. Like, y'all get a lot out there. For sure. Um, in the in the Northeast specifically, we only had no Gi Pans. But now that's in freaking Texas. Oh, yeah. So, um, New York City has not gotten any major competitions, at least IBGF competitions in the past couple of years. So to have something at least on the East Coast is a little bit more bearable now. Yeah. Let's go into the competition. So we're just going to give a quick shout out to all of the um, victors of the competition. We're going to start from rooster weight and then go all the way up to the absolute after super or ultra heavyweight. Yeah. Great. So the first one I want to talk about, male rooster weight. I don't know who this guy was, bro. Zaid, what is that his name? Zaid, and um, we don't want to offend anybody. Zaid... Alkathiri. Um, so fun, I did a little bit of research on some people. So I'm going to hit you with, with some facts about Yeah, hit me some trivia with this guy. All right, well, <clears throat> my man started training at 16, which was only in 2017. Wow. So, so think about it. He just won his first major black belt title, and he's only been training for six years. That's crazy. You know what I was doing in six years? I was struggling as a blue belt, probably wondering why am I doing this sport. Like... <laughs> um, <laughs> That said, I didn't like that after he won, mm -hmm. he just like, towards the end of his match, and obviously this is strategy, I'm just being a bit of a hater, like he just kept going out of bounds, right? He was backing away, and um, I don't know which one of the Niwa brothers um, was the his opponent, but he kept trying to initiate. He had a really good single, and 
I really want him to finish. Um, but then afterwards, he did the whole Brazilian thing. Like, he won by an advantage and just, like, pounded his chest. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I get Towards it. Towards the open. You're, you're excited. I, I'm just being a hater. But, man, I was like, now I want this kid to come back and spank you. But shout-outs to him because he is the first athlete from uh, the UAE to win a major championship, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody saw this guy coming. Nah. Um, I definitely didn't see him in the bracket winning this. Uh, we both had Talis and Soares winning this bracket. Did he not show up or who did I, he lose I, to? I think he didn't show up. I don't think he was there. All right, that makes sense. Um, Well, that was that. Shout out to you, I I hope Niwa catches you. Life so, Featherweight. Life Featherweight, we got your pick. Wait, was it your pick? Did you pick Baby Shark? No, I don't like Baby Shark. Oh, I think I pick Baby I pick Baby Shark. You pick Baby Shark. Yes, I did pick. All right. So, Diogo uh, Hayes is Baby Shark. Diogo Hayes beat Pato in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his f- Although he is an ADCC champ, um, this is his first IBJJF major. Yeah, I don't uh, think he... Com- no, that's not true. He competed last year in Worlds as a black belt, right? Did he? I, don't I think so. Oh, he and might I, have. I don't think he, he won that. Oh. Um, but... Shout out to Baby Shark. I wanted Malachi Edmond to win that bracket, but he got submitted by Zach Kaina. He got put to sleep by Zach Oh, Kina. that's who it was. I saw the video, but I didn't know it was him. He got put to sleep in a no-arm triangle. Damn, I'm, a, I'm a hater because of all people. I didn't want Zach to put anybody. I was a little upset. Yeah. Um, so that's that's just really weird to me because Malachi Edmond just won the Europeans yeah. beating Diego Pato. So even though I was rooting for the American to win the division, I was, I actually had a pretty good bet on him, just because he had beat the favorite to win not only Europeans but also Pans. Yeah, um, that also goes to show like uh, styles matter. Styles make yeah. matches. Onto the featherweight, I this was probably the biggest shock to me all weekend because. Marcio Andre beat Fabricio Andre. Word. Um, And on paper, right, like you would think Hokage, also Fabricio Andre, um, you would think that he would have no problem. So this is uh, his first Pans title of his career. He previously placed second in 2017 and third in 2016. So shout outs to the OG because although he isn't old, he does come from the previous generation. Um, I think Ricardo Amendoli, who was uh, commentating, he said that, which makes a lot of sense, right? Like he came up and he competed against Hoffa. He competed yeah. against Isaac, you know, early on. Like they had a lot of, uh, he's competed a lot of uh, against a lot of the OGs for so- sure. When he won the competition, I had the same thought. I'm like, yo, isn't this guy like 40? Yeah. So right. I was like, there's no way that he, or at least I thought it was really weird that he beat Mar- um, Fabricio Andre. Yeah. So when I looked him up, I was like, oh, he must compete at like Masters 3 or something. Like, good for him. To come to find out, he's only a year older than me. He's like 28. He got his black belt in 2014. That was the year I started training, fam. He's, so wait, that, was, that was nine years ago. Yeah. So he got his black belt when he was 17? I guess. All right, good for him. Yeah. But, yeah, that was crazy when I found that out. First of all, the guy looks like 36. He's the youngest At least. looking. He's the oldest looking 20-year-old I've ever seen. Oh, man. Wait, but we're, we're going to get to somebody who looks <laughs> even older. Y'all just wait. Y'all look these people up. They look fucking, oh, man. Yeah, jiu-jitsu ages your body terribly. Facts. If you don't, if you want another example, look up Herbert Santos. Oh, my God. Um, so on to lightweight. So again, shout outs to AOJ because we had two AOJ finalists. We had Jonathan Alves versus Pablo Lavaselli. Um, 
who's from Argentina. Shout outs to the Latino gang. So this is the fourth pants title in a row for Jonathan the Thing Alves. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you how do you feel about that right? <laughs> Yo, I speaking of people who look way past their age. Oh man. When Jonathan Alves was competing as a blue belt cuz I've been following him forever yeah. because he was just housing a, a, a lot of y'all we've seen since, since like y'all were like kids before y'all before y'all balls dropped we've been watching like y'all career. So when he was 16 in the winning blue belt juvenile worlds I was like, who is this 30-year-old man beating up children? <laughs> and it was Jonathan Alves. Yo, he's always looked 30. That's crazy, though. That's crazy. Oh, man. All right. Anyway, yeah. Um, congrats, Jonathan Alves, for winning the fourth Pans title of his career. I think it's insane um, because he does really well at this specific tournament. I don't know if it's the turnout. I don't know if it's the environment. Whatever it is, this is his fourth in a row. I don't know if he manages to get injured at other tournaments. I know one world, I think he just broke his finger. So that was bad luck. Um, but he has not been able to replicate this outside of this tournament, which is like kind of a hater thing for me to say because I've never won pans and I know how hard it is to win a tournament. Yeah, but like if it's a fact, it's yeah. also a fact. Yeah, like he, he just hasn't won this tournament. It's like um, somebody being an all-star MVP for four years in a row, but has never actually won a championship ring. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about winning, like, to steal a quote from the movie Moneyball, it's all about winning the the last match of the year, right? Yeah. And that's at Worlds, and that's what everybody matters. Like, he's won, like, the Spider Invitational as a brown belt. He's all had huge accomplishments, but we have yet to see, like, the shining accomplishment from Jonathan Alves, which is really funny because him and Tynan Dabra, who we'll get to in a minute, have had very similar careers leading up to the black belt level. And I actually had Jonathan Alves outshining Tynan Dabra. Tynan Dalbra. Um but the inverse was true. Um yeah. Let's I mean, use I that as a segue to go to middleweight. Yeah, I don't have much else on the thing. But <laughs> shout out to the middleweight king, Tynan Dalbra. I used to be the biggest hater on Tynan Dalbra. Every time he came on, I wanted him to lose. I was like, yo, but then obviously I th he got hurt one year. He came back like Robocop and he just started demolishing. Yo, in his black belt career, the only loss he's had has been to Mika Galvao. Yeah, and that wasn't in, like, an IBGF tournament. Whatever it was, I, it, even then, it was like Mika's clearly been beating everybody. Who, like, side note, he's competing against all these bunch of heavyweight dudes at BJJ Stars mm -hmm. next month, which is crazy. Yo, I am about to hate right now. I heard the craziest rumor the other day. What's up? So I did not notice this. But when I heard this rumor, it got me thinking about other stuff, too. So, I heard that Mika Galvao has not been competing in IBGF tournament because he popped that world last year. Um, when Craig Jones and Nicky Rod and Gordon they were going back and forth about steroids, there was and when these athletes got popped, um, from Nogi World, there was mention of a gi athlete who had like gone through some so they he didn't get suspended so I, I don't know if it's true but i also wouldn't be surprised this is some hater ass shit i i don't like when this happens if an athlete gets popped i think the entire world should know about it absolutely i do not like how i have to speculate as to why an athlete is not competing in ibgf competition and it's i have to speculate that it's because that they failed a drug test i think that 
not only does it make the athlete look dishonest, it makes the organization look dishonest. Like, why are you protecting an athlete that basically cheated? Which is, I, I don't know if you've watched the flow film on the Manao boys. Obviously, they come from they come from the hood of their country, right? And I can relate to that. It was actually a really good film. But being that at the time that I watched it, the argument about steroids and, and all this was, um, was catching a lot of fire, it just made me think about, like, there there have been rumors that, you know, some of these athletes are on supplements that they shouldn't be on, yeah. right? But they're not, like, banned. They're not illegal unless you, right? That's another conversation. But that said, it just it does kind of taint a little bit of your image in my opinion right like if it well, it taints it when you decide to hide it right because then you then it just makes you then you you feel guilty right which is why you're hiding it like if it didn't matter to you like if you're going to own up to it then cool but anyways to circle back to the fucking tournament shout outs to Tynan Dalpra for yeah. winning middleweight he there's very little shit to talk about him because I mean, in the gi, nobody else has seen him at middleweight. So I think if he wins Worlds, um, I was actually talking to my boy about this the other day. It was like, we might see a shift on his focus into no gi, especially with ADCC being next year, which would be very interesting. I'm very excited to see how he does in no gi um, because we've seen that he's the GOAT in the gi in terms of middleweight. So the next division, which is, you thought Jonathan Alves was old. What you know about Gustavo Batista? Dude, I am a Gustavo Batista nut writer. Facts. The, the only reason I like Gustavo Batista is because he wins every single match the same way. Like, other than some couple other matches where there's some outliers where he pulls guard and, like, does that, like, weird auto scissor sweep. And yeah. Then, like, mounter takes the back. He waits for the other person to pull guard. And then he gets into offside. If you don't know what offside means, it's, like... When you're passing guard, people typically lead with the right foot. He leads with the left. So it forces you to play off of the hip that most people don't play guard off of. Yeah. And then he does the same knee cut to everyone. And the amount of pressure that he's able to get off of this knee cut looks terrifying. If you don't have reference, it's just like imagine a building is falling onto you yeah. and all you have is your car trying to hold it off. Like it, it does, You're going to get crushed. Dude, um, Flow Grappling did this like Instagram post or like this post on their story about like how Gustavo Batista should feel being like one of the old guard and like how he's preparing like bro shut up like Gustavo Batista is probably like younger than me wait hold up what year were you born now right I was born 1995 you were born 95 Gustavo Batista was born in 96 fam dude dude that's what I'm talking about he was born in 1996 he's younger than me right he's a two-time I believe two-time world champion or one time, maybe I'm getting my facts mixed up. Whatever, it's my podcast. I can say whatever I want. I can call him a nine-time world champion. <laughs> it, what does it? Either way, this is. However many times he won worlds doesn't even matter. He's won, this is his fourth pants title at black belt. So like he definitely his old ass keeps winning. So shoutouts to him, dude. Gustavo Batista has one of the most dominant games in jiu-jitsu that I've ever seen, just because of his ability to execute his same attacks and get to his positions on everyone. I want everybody to, if you're listening to this podcast, look up Gustavo Batista versus Lucas Laprie at the European Championships. Great match. I will give it to you that Gustavo Batista did outweigh Lucas Laprie by a lot. But here are some counter arguments to that. Lucas Laprie was doing the absolute, which made this match happen. And Lucas Laprie faced like some 400 pound monster the yeah. match before. So size 
is not as big of a factor when it comes to Lucas Lepre because he's one, one of the greatest uh, lightweight athletes of all time. And two, because of that match, I think he knows how to spar against the bigger opponent. Yeah. Gustavo Batista made him look like a white belt. It yes. was just so systematic in the way that he broke him down, got to his positions, and the amount of pressure on that knee cut must have been freaking insane because when you see Gustavo Batista transfer to the actual crossface that he wanted to get, you see Lucas Lepre's face turn to something miserable, right? It was yeah. terrible to watch. Congrats to Gustavo Batista. I think he is one of my favorites to win any division that he's in. Um, I... I think he's in an awkward spot because if there weren't the people that we're about to talk about in the heavier weight divisions i think he could do very well in the absolute but because of that we because of the people that we're about to talk about are reigning the, the the absolute divisions right now um i think he might not do as well in the absolute divisions so well before we get to the people who are really dominating um somebody who batista has been before but who just won his first pants title my guy my man my polish brother adam Wierzynski. Dude, I know you're fully chubbed up about this. Oh man, what I I almost I almost ejaculated of of excitement when I saw my man when Kid, bleep that so, out, bro. <laughs> I mean you can. That that's the that it's fine. But anyways, so I've been obviously if you've ever trained with me, you know that I love playing butterfly guard. And to be fair, like I never studied anybody too much, but obviously, like I would watch a lot of uh, videos on Marcelo, on Adam, and and just Butterfly Guard in general. Adam Wozinski, I've been following him since he got his black belt, and I've seen him go against the the greatest. Right, like he's lost to Felipe Penal. I think he has a losing streak against him. Like I think Felipe beat him like four times in a row in a year. Um he's lost to Keith. So he he usually gets to like the quarters or the semis and he loses to the people that end up placing. And obviously with experience he continues to grow and his game continues to develop. Sometimes I get frustrated watching him because he's so committed to his game. And obviously if you've ever done jiu-jitsu, you know half guard is one of the hardest guards to play because you have to be active all the time. And then like with jiu-jitsu evolving, a lot of people are getting to half guard to pass, right? It's a very good passing position. However, to get to the finals, he was facing Felipe Andrew, who we know is one of the greatest right now, especially in his division and in the gi. The story also gets better because Adam Wardzinski lost to Felipe Andrew in the Europeans yes, earlier this year. Yep. Um, but Felipe Andrew was once again giving Adam the work. He yes. racked up nine points in what seemed like 30 seconds, but it was, you know, with, with throughout the match. And um, so can I take over from here? Yeah, because yeah. this is where I want to talk. Yeah, go this for it. This is where I like start. Oh, go Just for it. Just going wild. Oh, man. Okay. So I watched this match happen on like Instagram following it. So I had to watch it actually when it got released. Right. So. Adam Wardzinski and Felipe Andrew are in the finals. Felipe Andrew is smoking Adam Wardzinski. Smoking him. I think they score 2-2 off of like some 50-50 exchange or like a sweep exchange. But then you're right. Felipe Andrew scores nine points on Adam Wardzinski, making it 11-2. Yeah. And any other setting against a world champ black belt, an 11-2 lead, that's it. It's a wrap. There's a minute and a half left on the clock. Adam Wardzinski sweeps Felipe Andrew from inside the butterfly guard. Yep. Passes his guard and then mounts him. 
to rack up nine points. Now, for those of you that don't know, he got two for the sweep, three for the guard pass, and four for the mount. This is insane. There's a minute and a half left. Tense. Well, actually, there was a minute and a half left, but there's 10 seconds to go, and Adam Wojcicki's in the mount. Yes, and they're tied at advantages, too, so it's tied throughout the entire scoreboard. So it's 11 to 11 advantages tied. I forget who Adam Wojcicki's coach is. Lucas Leitch, because Lucas Leitch. of che- checkmate. checkmate. Yeah, yeah. So Lucas Leitch starts screaming at him to go for the cross-collar choke from the mount. Doesn't get it, but is able to cement the choke enough that they award him the advantage and he wins the match. I'm going to start talking mad shit right now. All right, before you get to talking mad shit, let me start it off on a light note so okay. you can pick it up because I right. know you're about to go hard. But when I saw him go for the cross-collar choke, instantly you know who came to my mind. It's our boy, uh, Black Horse. Black Horse? <laughs> <laughs> so Black Horse came to mind because Black Horse doesn't believe in X-chokes. He Oh, Black Horse. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Black Horse. So Black Horse thinks, and and even now you can show him that video, and he probably would be like, "See, it doesn't work." No, I wouldn't even. It don't even work. But obviously, if there were more time, I believe that Adam would have finished that choke. But I saw that, and instantly, that's the first thing that came to mind because I was like, "See, X chokes do fucking work." Even though he might not have gotten to finish, but he would have. That match was crazy. That match was. I I was going crazy watching it, but. Now is now is my time. I've been waiting to say this all week. Oh man! Oh man! I don't know if I'm ready. I let me. So for years to come, people are gonna talk about Adam Wojcicki's performance in the final minute and a half. People can make a movie about it. Yes, I've just made another post about it. (laughs) What people are not gonna talk about is how Felipe Andrew fumbled that bag (laughs) so hard. Dude, I heard about that. I wasn't impressed. My this is how much of a hater I am. I wasn't impressed. With Adam Wardzinski's performance, Damn. I was disappointed in Felipe That is Andrew. some hater shit for Dude, sure. Felipe Andrew, and we're going to start this after every major tournament. Felipe Andrew gets my pendejo of the week award, bro. <laughs> How do you fumble the bag that hard? You're definitely right. Because Adam Wardzinski literally within the first, like he got his, the Felipe scored within the first minute because Adam pulled to half guard butterfly against Felipe Andrew. That's not the approach. He's done this so many times and yeah. he gets passed by Andrew, which is what happened. Obviously, shout outs to Adam for representing the butterfly guard and getting two very, very good sweeps. That said, his approach sometimes puts him in hot water and that annoys me. Bro, Felipe Andrew, you better win at Worlds because... You didn't win pans, and now you have the Pendejo of the Week award. Oh, if you don't get this, if you don't get Adam back for this, oh, you gain the Pendejo of the award every week along with a new Pendejo to keep you company. All right, so we're going to actually do the last three because they're the three athletes, right? So super heavyweight, ultra heavyweight, and absolute. So in the super heavyweight, um, Eric Muniz wins yeah. his division. We can I, talk about this all together. Yeah, I don't remember um, who, he want, who he beat, but he ended up getting... First in his division and second in the absolute, losing to Marigali, who took first in the ultra heavyweight finals and then beat Muniz in the finals of the absolute, yeah. which was also a pretty pretty good match. I, I want to say that Marigali definitely kept the offensive cycle that John Danaher likes to talk about a lot. Like, he kept the offensive going the whole time. Muniz got to a couple of good spots, but was immediately shut down by Marigali. And also, y'all let Marigali stun on y'all, get double gold with three weeks prep. I, I know that, obviously, I, I ain't doing no pants. I ain't being Marigali, but he did that to y'all. I just want y'all to know that. Yeah. Um. Whoever lost to Marigali this weekend, 
I'm not even mad that Marigali won. I'm not mad at you guys for losing to Marigali. Obviously, he's one of the best athletes of this gen- current generation. I'm mad that y'all gave the excuse to Gordon Ryan to make another <laughs> post about how his boyfriend won Jiu-Jitsu Worlds. And now he can't shut up about it. I'm like, yo, look at my mans. Oh, I know all of you. Ah, ah, ah. like I'm good in the gi too. Like I, yeah. I can't believe that Gordon Ryan somehow made Nicholas Maragani, Nicholas Maragali winning pans about him again. Oh, well. Whatever. That's a different conversation. As Let's quickly does. wrap this up about going through the women's division. All um, right. So with the women, we're not gonna talk as much shit because for one, y'all are more professional. Y'all aren't. Sure. A, y'all aren't as ugly. Y'all are. Also, a, way more technical than a lot of these athletes. But yeah. that said, so in the roosterweight division, Jessica Dantas, um, she beat Jeff, Jennifer Aquino, who trains out of Atos. Jennifer Aquino, and um, she has a twin sister who I believe competes out of GF team. Mm-hmm. They're both really good. Um, this is the second major for Dantas, who won Europeans earlier this year. Do you have any any takes on that? So. No offense to the female athletes. I, I haven't been as read up about the female divisions, uh, specifically roosterweight. Um, I'm more excited for when we go into light featherweight, uh, featherweight and lightweight. Yeah. Those are really like the female divisions that I follow because there are certain athletes in there that I really do highly look up to in terms of their technicality and prowess. Right. Um, I agree with you there. That said, let's move on to the light feather. Who was... Won by Maisa, by Maisa, who won her third pants of her career, and she's the young OG. There's really nothing negative to say about that. Maisa keeps fucking killing it and killing it every year. This is specifically who I was talking about. I rolled with Maisa once, and she is probably the most technical grappler that I've ever rolled with. I agree Everything with you right there. Everything she does yep. is correct. Everything. Like, I, I have a specific view in jiu-jitsu where whenever you're put into a position, there's always the most correct move to do. Right. Like, not only grabbing the most correct thing, but grabbing it in the most correct way. Yeah. When I roll with Misa, she did not make a single mistake. Yeah. Like, her foot was always where it needed to be and the exact angle. And even though I could have, like, just picked her up and thrown her out a window, I couldn't. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. She, there was just so much leverage and so much positions that I just couldn't do what I wanted to do. And she could basically do whatever she wanted to me. So I always have huge respect for Misa. She is such a technical grappler, and I see her winning that division forever. Um, yeah, I've also trained with her a couple of times. She's a wonderful training partner. And it's it's funny, and not funny to everyone, but, like, right before the bell rings, she'll, you know, she'll be laughing and shit. And it's you don't see it with everyone, but, like, as soon as the bell starts, like, you see that shift, and she goes into beast mode. Like, she is trying to kick my ass and obviously as as she does um but she's always every time she competes she i'm always putting money on her um that said our next division featherweight um so i know that there's a lot of haters out there on a-rod first of all anna rodriguez just because her nickname just goes to a-rod i fuck with you just based off of that but she just won her third pants title um where did she fight out of she fights out a dream art. So ah. she and Izake, like, I think they're the like the two head coaches there. So she actually leads the women's competition team wow. from out there. Um, and if you follow her on Instagram, you know that she, she can give a lot of, she gives Lil' Kim, as the kids would say, right? Or mm-hmm. Foxy Brown. Like, she's just gangster. Um, her jiu-jitsu's 
great. She beat Marco Ciccarelli, one of uh, Ray's favorite training partners ever. You know why you're laughing, bro. You know why you're laughing. <laughs> this is gonna be oh, like podcast lore. Oh man. Um yeah, so like I was I was very happy. I had my money on A Rod. Anytime she competes, like um I'm also rooting for her. I know that she has a lot of hater. I I don't hate on you. Shout outs to you for winning. Ray, do you have any anything to say about this division? So I only saw um A Rod's match with Margot in the finals and it was a great match. Yeah. Um I think that A Rod did a great job. Showing down Margot's game um, and dominating the division. Uh, I have only come to know her through this tournament. So this is yeah. my first exposure to her, even though she is a very decorated athlete. Um, as you say, like three or four pants titles. Yeah, this is a third one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll she's one. I believe she's the reigning world champ as well. Um, so no disrespect. I'll definitely be paying more attention to her in the future. Right. Right. So we're going to move on to lightweight. Um, also, I want to say that she also played a develop a big role in the developmental part of the dream art like she had a role in like the social media as great. aside from like the female team so it's just another part that like great competitor um but also doing a lot to kind of you know kind of like what aoj does kind of build that team up yep. but on to lightweight luisa montero beat who i had winning this division fion davies right this who, is another upset that i had so they both uh represented autos but luisa fights out of hq and fion who fights out of essential yeah. out there with with jt yeah. so um luisa um and i don't mean this in no disrespect she was i believe the oldest competitor um, or the oldest champion right i think she was um the only one born in the 80s which isn't really old but um and yeah, it was a really good match. This is Montero's eighth pants title, and it's the fifth in the last six years. Yeah, so I am super stoked that Montero was able to beat Fionn Davis. Um, not because I'm a Fionn Davis hater. I love Fionn. Uh, she's the reigning world champion, and right. it's for that specific reason. I think that whenever this, the world champion is shown to be vulnerable in a previous competition leading up to Worlds, I think that makes the next competition even more exciting. Yeah. Because you don't know if the world champion is going to make the uh, adjustments necessary in order to keep their title, and we might see a new world champion. Yeah. Um, I think this also gives credit to how close the skill gap is between these women at the top of the division, where any of them can really take it on their best day, which yeah. always makes the sport really exciting. There's always like a certain mystique to seeing the same person win every single year yeah but there's also like a certain excitement into seeing um or really not knowing who's going to take it like if you look at a division and you can say really any of these people can take it yeah. that makes the sport worth watching and exciting absolutely so when i saw luisa montero win over fion davis i got really excited because i don't know what to expect for this year's worlds yeah um just <clears throat> to note on that um, what also really stood out and was what I thought was really important after Luisa won, she took time to like call out Brazil and call out uh, the the cop that murdered Lo. Um, and that's a more serious conversation, and we're we're in a funny mood. But I thought that the speech was really dope. And anyways, middleweight was won by the homie. So I've been uh, because obviously, if you can't tell, I I'm a nerd and I'm familiar with some of these athletes. So I remember watching Liz Clay winning trials. I think she was like 16 or 17 when she was competing out in trials and just like fucking killing it. But she just won uh, her, 
I believe this is her first pans, but she just placed third in Europeans, and she also just won the Polaris Grand Prix. So to your point about talking about the skill gap in the top level of the women's division, like that was a tournament full of ADCC champs, veterans, uh, IBJJF champs and veterans, and Elizabeth Clay has been on a tear at the beginning of the first half of this year for sure. Yeah, I've always been a huge Elizabeth Clay fan. Um, just because she's one of the youngest people to ever qualify for an ADCC. Yeah. She, registered, she qualified through the trials as a blue belt a number of years ago. Um, so she's always been a force to be reckoned with in the women's division. Yeah. Um, she's always very exciting to watch. And uh, I, I think we've been we pretty much said everything we need to say about that division. Um, Anna Vieira defeated Amy Campo in the medium heavyweight finals. Um, Anna Vieira is an OG and this is her first pants title of her career. She placed second in two, in 2021. Um, Amy Campbell, who's, you know, one of the more most active competitors who just also competed in the Women's Grand Prix. I believe she's the, was it plus 66 uh, ADCC champ? Um, so it wasn't a easy match, but that was also that. And then on to our heavy and super heavyweight <clears throat> and absolute, right? So in the heavyweight, we have... Larissa Diaz, who won her first pants, um, she this is she received her black belt in 2021, which is wild. And then to yeah. just be able to, you know, fucking casually win fucking pants. Um, and then another athlete, like I don't even want to put her in just the women's. Like this is just one of the most dominant athletes. Gabrielli Pisania. Dude, she's been winning everything. Women, bro. everybody's running from her. I'm sure if you put her in the men's division, you you have men in the males division. You have the men running away, right? Because this this girl has been like killing it since since she was a brown belt. I think the first time I saw her was in an AJP tournament, and <clears throat> she. I don't know what st- stood out, the fact that her jiu-jitsu was really good or the fact that she looks scary as fuck <laughs> I, I think she is poised to be you can cut that out <laughs> i i think she is poised to be the most dominant female competitor in brazilian jiu-jitsu history i think up until now it has pretty much been gabby garcia but she uh, gabriella pensana has beaten gabby garcia yes right and there was a significant significant size difference in that matchup. Yeah. And I think Gabriella has been double golding everything. She did the double gold grand slam last year. And she's probably gonna do it again this she's year. She's probably gonna do it again this year. So even and, and what's even crazier, and again, I I wish I was this good. She hasn't lost in as far as I know and as far as I saw um, online, she hasn't lost since 2021, and her last loss came against your Yara Suarez, who's not, who's great. And they have they've had a bit of a rivalry. I think Yara might have yeah. she had a winning streak against Gabrielli, and then something shifted, and she spanked she has spanked Yara every time since that loss. Well, that's the nature of these type of rivalries. You know, they're typically very one sided, um, and especially in Jiu-Jitsu, where it's the same rule set. It's yeah. pretty much the same environment, um, and it's not like a two-hour-long basketball or baseball game, you know? Right. It's 10 minutes at the black belt level. In 10 minutes, if you figure somebody out, uh, the results can pretty much look the same. 
Yeah. And I think that pretty much wraps up uh, all the divisions. Um, shout outs to all the athletes that won, all the all the athletes that competed. Like obviously to go out there and put yourself and to the test and and you know what I deem to be a very vulnerable thing to do, right? Because you're going out there and you're just fighting against someone and seeing whose jitsu is better. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. So shout outs to everybody. And um, if you lost, then, you know, it is what it is. You get back to it on the next time. Suck less next time. Yeah, suck less. I mean, right. if you lost, dude, get good. Yeah. That's really all there is that, I mean, and if, if that's not it, then maybe try uh, ping pong or something. <laughs> I don't know. Try another sport, dog. Like, <laughs> some of y'all should, like, also let's let's be very, very fucking clear. Some of y'all should not be doing jiu-jitsu. Some of y'all, or at least competing. Some of y'all should, you know. Go, go take up another hobby and compete at that. Damn. All right. <laughs> what a great way to end the first episode. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Um, we're going to hand this to our editor. Thank you, Kit, for Thank volunteering you. your time. Uh, not volunteering. I'm freaking paying you uh, <laughs> to do this. Just so you know, nobody is, uh, nobody's like out of reach for us to shit on. Like we're going to yeah. make fun of everybody. So thank you for everybody listening. This has been episode one of the Latin Card podcast. We'll see where we want to put this up, but the more specific details will be in the show notes when it does come out. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to try to do these podcasts weekly. If you need to hit us up, we're going to make a podcast-specific Instagram and try to make more uh, podcast-specific social media outlets. But you can find me at Mundo on Instagram, R-U-C-K underscore F-A-Y-M-U-N-D-O. And then... You can find Jobani at... Uh, Jobani underscore Rosario. So uh, my name's a little weird. It's G-O-B as in boy, A-N as in Nancy. I forgot how to spell my name. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. J-O-B-A-N-Y. There yeah, you go. Yeah, this is why you did jiu-jitsu as a, as a this, profession. Yo, this is... Exactly. Uh, stay in school. Um, that said, nah, I'm, you can find me on Instagram. And like Ray said, we're going to get some social for the pod and shit. Whether you like us or not, uh, you should follow because we're either going to make you laugh by making fun of you or you're going to laugh with us as we make fun of someone else. All right. Thanks so much, guys. See you all next week.